Um, for the talk today, we are doing something a little different. We, actually it's not even that different now that I say that out loud, because we at New Community um, love to hear from our community. We believe that everyone here has something to share. We believe that Jesus is living in all of us, and there's not one person that has uh, something more important to say than somebody else here. Uh, so every once in a while we like to invite people up from our community to share things. Today's passage, as we've been going through Colossians, today's passage naturally separates into three ideas. So instead of taking one idea per week for the next few weeks, we are inviting three people up to come and share a thought on one of the three ideas. So I'm very excited about this, but before we get into it, uh, let's go ahead. Our passage is going to be on the screen today. It's Colossians 1, 28 through 2.5, and I'm going to read it to us. You can either read it on the screen um, or maybe just quietly listen to all of it, whatever you want. Here's what it says. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Amen. So our first speaker is someone who I love dearly. He is somebody that you guys all probably know, and he is somebody who naturally lives life with people um, in a really incredibly and beautiful way. If you know Hans, you know that he's probably been to your wedding. He will travel across the world to be with you. He, uh, every day, every time I see them, he is doing something for and with somebody else because he thinks uh, people are incredibly important and loves people deeply and well. So, as Hans comes up, if you guys could just give him a little bit of love to share as he shares the thoughts. Yep, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep. Carl's got it, yep. Thanks, Julie. Hi, I'm Hans. I work for Young Life, and uh, that's the context that uh, most people know me in. Uh, we've been living in this church, uh, well, with this church for about, I don't know, seven years, and so we just kind of do everything together now. Um, and the context of uh, this verse and discipleship, I, I, I frame everything through Young Life um, in my job, and I try to—I don't try to not do that. I, I want to not do that, but but I do it. Um, whenever when someone asks me how I'm doing, I talk about Young Life. Um, when someone says me, asks me how my week was, I talk about high school kids that are driving me crazy, or high school kids that are just making my heart feel so full. Um, and so I was excited to talk about this because. Uh, Young Life's mission statement is to introduce adolescents to Christ, help them grow in their faith. And I think the first half of that is outreach, and the second half is discipleship. And the 
first half is like what we're known for, I think, like to the general public, like wildly known for um, the craziness of young life, the camps, um, leaders going to campuses and hanging out with kids. Um, my Instagram is full of weird costumes and accents and characters. And people are like, what do you do for a living? You use skits with kids for a living? Um, and it's like, no, I do, I do outreach. Um, and uh, we do some wild stuff. But I think we're kind of known for that. And the other half um, is so important and so huge. And it's like the sweetest parts of my job. Um, and so I think the first half is what everyone sees. Um, and even when a, when a Young Life leader joins, they, when they want to lead, they want to hang out with kids. They want to show up somewhere for them. Um, and I think the second half, they get to realize eventually this discipleship piece is the sweetest part. And that's what I'm excited to talk about. Um, club on a Monday night can be cool. And uh, we can have funny characters and a good message. But uh, the best part can be like the drive home with a kid. And I think that's where discipleship begins sometimes um, in these relationships, in these questions. And we might have a night that I think totally sucks. And no one listened to my talk. And no one's engaged. And then we're driving home and the kid goes, man, do you think Jesus could love like my dad? And I'll be like, well, what? Oh, you were listening? Oh my gosh, club was so great. What a great night. This is amazing. And that's where these hard, beautiful, this hard, holy work of discipleship begins uh, in relationships. If I think about uh, my volunteers and, and discipleship, uh, two people really come to mind. Um, their names are Colby and Jenna, and they've uh, led at North Central for like 100 years. Um, and they are not known for the stuff I'm known for, the crazy characters up front, give me the mic and a spotlight and play music and I'll do whatever. Like, they're known for the deep, 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 hard, holy work of discipleship. And I don't know anybody who does it better. Um, and how they do it is in the most relational way. Um, and I think that's why I love it so much. They, their home was always open. Um, kids that come there know that they're going to be asked questions. It's not just come have fun. It's not just come play a cool game. Um, they're going to be pushed um, and, and grown. And in the way the iron sharpens iron, as they continue to walk with them, um, they'll find that they're growing and they're, they're having answers for things they didn't have before. Um, and it starts with someone that cares about them enough to tell them the truth and to challenge them and, and to tell them when they're wrong and, and, and to, be, to be honest. Um, my leaders, when they were chaperoned my dances in high school and I was wasted, um, never said like, it's so cool that you do that. Um, but they also didn't say, hey Hans, if you party, you can't come to Young Life, you know? But they told me the truth. They told me they were scared. Um, they told me they were worried about my decisions. Um, they told me that they loved me and they didn't think this was the best for me. And then we had great conversations about life and Jesus. Um, and so we had this hard work of them always telling me the truth in love and uh, always sharing Jesus when necessary using words. Um, and I didn't realize how much I learned from them until uh, I was in college um, and I was leading Young Life and I was starting to do the same thing with kids. Um, someone just, Carl, just pull your ear when I'm past my minutes, okay? Because I might, I might go long. Um, when uh, I think about the part of the verse that says, maybe present everyone mature in Christ, and I think, what does it mean to be mature in Christ? Uh, I think for a lot of my young adult life, uh, especially in college when I was trying to um, work out my faith and trying to change, um, trying to be a better person, trying to be a good Christian, probably 
starting like my senior year of college, I decided I really wanted to change. Um, I think that what I thought being mature in Christ was, was uh, a lot of good choices and avoiding mistakes um, and doing religious activities that would help me feel better about all this, all the garbage in my life. Um, and when I started taking my faith seriously and changing my social life, uh, to my dismay, I found over and over again um, that I was still capable of making mistakes <laughs> and I was still capable of messing up. And that was a, that was like, I felt like a failure. I felt like a failure because I was like, no, I've changed. Like I'm, I'm making different choices, like I'm growing, um, but obviously I haven't changed. Um, and so mature in Christ to me was like this uh, destination. And similar to that uh, sermon we just had about uh, destination versus journey, I think that's what discipleship is and what mature in Christ is, is um, it's this beautiful journey and I don't get to arrive. And when I talk to kids about Jesus and about how big God is, um, sometimes they can get frustrated because they want all these answers and they want to just like know and figure it out. And I can relate to that because I can get tired of the journey and the hard work. And I just want to know, what do I have to do? You know, what do I have to do to inherit life, internal life? And then when I tell kids, man, God is so big, you can spend your entire life trying to get to know him. You'll never totally figure him out. They'll go, what? My whole life, I never get to figure him out? Like, that's frustrating. Um, and that's, I think, discipleship is that we get to spend our whole life and we don't get to arrive. We get to have hard, hard, holy conversations. Um, and that growth and that work is like any exercise or sport that's a steady flexing and growth of those muscles. Um, and I think that's what I began to learn as I was still making mistakes and I was still disappointed in myself as I was beginning to change, but, I, but it was so slow. It was so slow. Um, and sometimes it took somebody saying to me, man, I've really seen how you've grown for me to go, wait, really? Have I been growing? I feel like I'm kind of the same. Um, and so I got to speak that out in kids and in leaders, um, and then they got to speak it out in me. Um, for our leaders that are really in it with kids, uh, I think that are the ones that are doing that hard work, um, that's, that's that verse, right? Um, that they toil uh, doing the hard work with the kids, hoping they will leave high school, uh, not just having a nice time or having a young life leader that um, is fun or they'll have heard about Jesus, um, but that they would leave high school uh, hungry, hungry to grow, um, hungry to be mature in Christ and going with people that will continue that journey way, belong high school, way, way uh, past high school. Um, what I've realized at 33 is that I still need a young life leader um, who will disciple me. And I'm so thankful to have like 10 um, that are still discipling me. And uh, I think 10 years ago, I thought like I probably wouldn't need that anymore. And now I realize I need it more than ever. I need to, I need to be discipled more than ever. Um, there isn't a certain amount of people um, in your life um, that'll just make that perfect. Like I need more and more. Uh, anyone that's willing to pour into me, I'm like, I'll take what I can get. And I think kids are hungry for that too um, as we grow. And... Uh, I think I'm going to stop there. I think that's it. But uh, thanks for letting me share this morning, and uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Hans. Man, there's so many things about that that were just really refreshing for me to hear. Um, and I love this idea that discipleship is something that we can give and also something that we can receive and that we should be giving or being disciples. Um, we should be discipling others and we should be receiving discipleship from others at all times. Um, 
And Hans, that idea about maturity in Christ is something that we will never fully achieve allows me to take a deep breath, right? Uh, I get that idea, what he was talking about, about a kid who feels frustrated by that idea. And I also see the deep beauty in that idea that God is so big that we will never fully be able to fully understand who God is. So thank you, Hans. Um, For the second portion of our scripture, I'm going to invite up my friend Jerusha. And if you know Jerusha, you can come on up, Jerusha. You probably know her because you have been a part of our prayer team, because Jerusha is somebody who is incredibly faithful. Um, She has a depth to her that goes beyond understanding. Uh, If you have not had a chance to be with Jerusha, you should meet her afterwards, uh, join her in prayer. But also if you have a question about life, she has an incredible amount of wisdom and is somebody who loves people incredibly well. Um, And her life is a true testament to that. Uh, Especially if you are in her neighborhood, you will see that. So here is Jerusha. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So Colossians 2, just this first little part here. Um, I I really like this. Um, That Paul starts out in Colossians 2 by just being like this, he's got this super angsty kind of, um, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, which I like, (laughs) right? You haven't seen me. Um, But he's communicating something here that I think is straight for us um, because we haven't seen Paul face to face. So trusting that the Holy Spirit has put something on Paul's heart here and that he really urgently wants to get get this across to those who have not seen him, I think we can identify with that and we can say, okay, what's he trying to get across here? Um, that there our hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Okay, so just right there, I'm going to stop. I am a, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I am a a person. Um, (laughs) I... (laughs) Um, I, I have a, I love words. Um, I have loved words all my life. Uh, I talk a lot. I'm really comfortable talking and, um, I also teach and I teach words. Uh, I teach, uh, writing, uh, creative writing, uh, essay writing, and, uh, I get to teach a little bit of literature and, uh, so looking at words a little bit more closely and, I can't help but right here um, see that there's a correlation in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Like that it's completely dependent, right? This idea of encouragement and being knit together, those two ideas are, are fully dependent on one another. And so then I see that word knit and it's like borderline metaphor, right? Like, okay, knit, like, yeah, that actually means like to be knit together. But then you get all these visuals that go with it, right? Like 
my brain goes to that verse in Psalm 139 that says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Like there's a knitting together of bone and sinew and all of that mystery of like the human body being knit together as it is created. And then like knitting, which I used to do when I was a little girl. And I wasn't very good at it. And here's why. I was really into like the focused knitting part that happens like right in between the needles. And I really liked seeing something being produced. But my grand would always say to me, it won't be symmetrical. It won't be good until you learn how to hold the tension of the yarn in your fingers. And I didn't like that because it wasn't interesting. And you had to get the, the yarn all like woven through your fingers so that the tension remained in the yarn because otherwise you just kind of had this glob of like, that's not a scarf. Mom will like wear it, but it's not a scarf. <laughs> and, and so if you want your knitting to be symmetrical and good, you have to really embrace the tension of the yarn. And so as I was reading this, I thought, okay, hold on, like knit together, right? Like we've got to embrace the tension. That's hard. Like for real's hard. And encouragement. To impart courage to another person. To impart courage is the showing up and speaking into somebody else's life and it's awkward or you ask the hard question and it's kind of weird. Or you sit with somebody who's grieving and you've got nothing to say to make it better and you kind of just want to go, but you don't. You hang out and it's inconvenient. My husband takes our kiddo down to Atticus at nine o'clock in the morning. So I get to be here to pray and it is such a privilege to get to pray and it is an incredible gift for my husband to take our kiddo so that I can do that. There's like all of these things that we do to love and encouragement is indelibly linked to that. It's so linked to it that you can't separate the two out. And so as I prayed about this morning and I was asking the Lord, um, like, okay, what about this? Like, how do we do this? One, the Holy Spirit just flat out said to me, and the Holy Spirit and I talk, and that's really fun and cool. So the Holy Spirit was just like, hey, everybody's doing it. Just remind them that they're doing it. So New Calm, can I just say to you this morning, you're doing it. You're doing it. You're showing up with each other. And you're showing up in like those weird, awkward places. And there are Sunday school teachers with their coffee who are sleepy, who are setting up their classrooms and praying. And in the week, you're having breakfast with each other and coffee with each other. And you're not just doing it because it's a program. You're doing it because you love each other. And can I encourage you that you do not have to have anything figured out to love or encourage because the mystery of the sinew and the bone and the marrow and everything coming together is not anything you have to figure out. And so can I also just encourage you, if you feel like you don't know what to do, just throw yourself into the mystery of what God is already doing because God is already doing. And I think personally that that's what Paul was struggling to communicate 
It's like, I've got the struggle for you in Laodicea and in Spokane that, hey, like you're doing it, press into the encouraging of each other's hearts and press into that loving of each other. And there's an expectation that comes. And my friend Sarah said this the other night and it just kind of resonated is part of what we've got to do is we've got to be okay carrying the expectation that like, I'm going to show up and God's going to do something for reals. And a heart's going to be changed. My heart's going to be changed. There might be a revelation. God's power might show up. Somebody might get healed. Like you just don't know. But we're there encouraging, being, and loving And in all of that, whether it's over a cup of coffee or just holding a new baby or whatever that thing is, weeping with a friend, whatever it is, that is a mystery that is so beyond us and is God doing. And I hope that that is encouraging to you. Carry that expectation. It's an awesome expectation. Like I said, find her afterwards and ask her all of your questions. Um, Showing up into the mystery of what God is already doing. That is really beautiful. Um, For our third portion of scripture today, I would love to invite my friend Sarah up. Come on up, Sarah. Sarah is somebody who uh, we were in group together for a chunk of time. And then over the past six months to nine months, she, her and her husband, her new husband, Um, started a group on their own, and um, I'm so excited about that. And if, again, if you want to join a group, join theirs. They're really great. So here is Sarah for the third portion. Good morning. So the piece that really leapt off the page for me in this passage um, is the last verse to do with firmness and faith. What does it mean as a person to be firm in one's faith? What does it mean as a church to be firm in our faith? I'll probably focus more on the individual piece there. But I believe there's two things that are true to say about firmness of faith. Um, And they're slightly different, and I think they need to be existing together at the same time. Um, But they're both true, and they both happen at the same time, even though they're going to feel a little bit different. So the first thing that I wanted to emphasize here is that Firmness of faith has like Zippo to do with how firm you feel about your faith. It has everything to do with how firm Christ is who is inside of you. So at this point, I'm just kind of like asterisk, you know, refer back to Kevin Longmire's sermon last week. Um, This is hard. This is, I'm a perfectionist. I want to perform. I want to do things. And this verse calls me back to, I think, what's really real about who we are Um, the true reality of our life is that Christ is in us. um, And that is where firmness of faith comes from. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That God took on human flesh, lived, died, rose again, and now we have Christ in you, the hope of glory, um, the thing that Kevin preached on last week. So that's, I would say that's like the objective reality about who we are. That's what's really true about us. And 
we also have, I think Paul saying too, that you know, he observes in the Colossians that there's firmness of faith. Even as he's saying, you know, look, hold on to the hope held out to you in the gospel. Um, I'm laboring with the energy of Christ in me. Uh, be strengthened with the strength of God. There's all this language about how Christ is kind of this engine that powers all that we do. And he's also saying, look, I observe firmness in your faith. There's something about you that's observable and that's changing. So even while there's this kind of objective thing about us that's really true, I think we also need to experience transformation and experience firmness in faith, um, even if it doesn't depend on how firm you feel on a given day or how strong your emotions are. I think there is a way that we can be growing in our faith or experiencing God at work in our lives. So I was trying to think of an analogy, like if on the one hand it's totally true that Christ dwells in you and there's nothing you can do to make that more or less firm. On the other hand, I think we're trying to kind of in some way become who we really are and to experience that over time. So I was thinking of an analogy and it's gonna be a little bit bonkers. I bounced this off my husband and he was patient with it. We'll see if it lands, but anyway. What if, what if it's a little bit like, like a zombie apocalypse? And I, I honestly thought about this all week, I really did. I was like, there's gotta be a better analogy than a zombie apocalypse, but it kept sticking. So here's, here's what I mean by that. Let's say there's a zombie apocalypse and all of us have been infected, everybody in the entire world, infected with the zombie virus, okay? We're all zombies. Somewhere in some little chamber, an epidemiologist has been working around the clock to develop a cure. And this is where the analogy breaks down a little bit because I don't know who the epidemiologist is in this story. Like, is that God? I don't, whatever. But some, somehow a cure has been found. And slowly, people are being given this cure. You get a shot in the arm, you go from being zombie to human. And that, I mean, you get the cure, you, you cease being a zombie, you become a human. That's what's really true about you, right? You're healed, you're cured. And yet, here we are, you know, zombies, with the same body, the same memories, the same experiences. You need to go to zombie rehab. You need, like, you need habits that help you live into the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in this zombie analogy, we'll just keep pushing it. This means that you need, you need to be around other former zombies. You need, you know, you've been shuffling with your arms out and moaning for your whole life, and you need to be around other people who help you learn how to walk like a human in the way that you are, you know, truly a human. You need to go, maybe like once a week, you start eating pizza and then salad to get a taste for something beside human brains. You need to like re, you need, I'm totally serious. You need, we need to train our bodies and our, we need to have habits that help us live into what we really are. So there's a piece of this too, where firmness of faith has to do with developing some new habits. And that is kind of the mystery to me these days. Like people think of faith as something that they need to conjure up and sustain by the power of their own emotion and will. I think this is kind of like a postmodern phenomenon and people feel like it's gonna be inauthentic if they need to practice or do it around other people. Um, but I think that in order to really become who we already are, 
And to understand, like it says here, to understand over time the enormity of this mystery and the fullness of Christ in us, we need to practice together. We need other people to remind us who we really are. We need, um, we need disciplines. We need things that help us hear God. We need church on Sundays, like time to be around former zombies where we, we say, this is, this is who we really are. This is, this is how we develop a taste for what is good and true. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I hold those two things together. This kind of objective reality that we, that has nothing to do with how strong we are and how good we are. Christ in us, the hope of glory, no matter what you do. And habits that help us learn to live like human beings. Zombies. We'll see. We'll see if it lands. <laughs> Thank you. I think Carl liked the zombie illustration. Uh, so when we uh, put this together and had three different people sharing, I was given the task of coming up and wrapping it up. I did not anticipate the illustrations and the stories and uh, bringing that all together. But when Hans came to the back, he sat down next to me. I was sitting on the floor taking notes and uh, he had a mug in his hand. And on that mug was the name of a guy who stayed for a summer with us as a community. His name was Jenga. Jenga, I met Jenga in Chicago. It was a weird kind of story, but I needed a place to stay and he had an apartment. And so through a connection, I spent the night with him. We stayed up late into the night talking about his life in Kenya growing up and how uh, he now was studying. And he asked at the end of the night, could I come and spend the summer with new community and learn to be in ministry and um, just be with the church. We thought, fantastic. So we um, invited him out here to spend the summer. And I remember he was in the backyard at my house and uh, my family's sitting around, some other friends are sitting around and we had built a little fire. And we're sitting there by the fire and you know what happens when kind of the wind is blowing a little bit and the smoke just starts coming right at your face. And you want to switch positions, but you also feel bad because you don't want someone else to sit there. I'm sitting there and the smoke is just billowing on my face and I'm hating it. And Jenga notices that. And Jenga says, well, we have a little saying in Kenya. And I said, okay. And he goes, it goes like this, he who sits in the smoke is he who pooped in the forest. <laughs> and I said, okay, can you unpack that a little for me? And he said, well, the way it works is in Kenya, if, if you need to poop, sometimes you just sneak off into the forest and you poop, but then we know you did it. And when we sit around the circle of the flame it's blowing toward you. We're like, huh, you did, didn't you? Right? <laughs> so he was making this joke. My kids thought it was fantastic. Dad, when did you poop in the forest? I want to hear this story. This is amazing. Um, and it, it was this way of them kind of going, hey, I know something about you. And as I was listening, 
Um, and I saw that mug, I thought of the story, and I went, you know what? Part of what Jenga was pointing out is that uh, you're known for something. And what this verse, or this section of verses is communicating, is exactly the same thing. That we as a community, and we as individuals, are known for certain things. And I thought, how amazing would it be to be known individually and corporately as a group of people that, as Hans pointed out, do the hard and holy work of discipleship. That we lean into the hard and holy work of discipleship, which as he described is opening our home, is investing in people, is being present on a journey with people, not just the destination. Or how great would it be to be known as the people knit together in love, to embrace the tension that comes with it. Because loving people is difficult. It's challenging. It's not always roses. It isn't always fun times. There's moments of deep tension. So can we be a community and can we be individuals that continue to be known as being knit together in love? And may we be a community known as being firm in faith of realizing that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, that that is something already done for us, that I don't have to every day wake up and go, oh, I've got to figure out how to be firm in my faith again, that every day I can wake up and go, wow, today, Christ in me, I have hope because of his presence. And may that motivate us to be the kinds of people that live into these habits these practices, these ways of being that shape us and in shaping us make us more firm in our faith. So that's kind of my hope. And instead of being known as those that poop in the forest, that we might be known instead as doing the hard and holy work of being knit together in love and being people firm in our faith. May that be how we are known. Let me pray for us. And then uh, the band is going to come. We're going to sing one more song, and then I'll be back up to lead us in our benediction. God, we acknowledge your presence in this space. We acknowledge the Spirit moving and alive and active in our community. We see it from the efforts in the city and the results that you are bringing about. We see it in the lives of our small groups, the way they share life together, and we see it in the lives of each of us in this room as we continue to walk with you, becoming more firm in our faith, becoming more committed to this way of being a people of love and being even more committed to the holy and hard work of discipleship. God, may we be known as a community that leans into these things that your word is calling us to. And God, as we just sing in these next few moments, may everything we sing be an overflow of what you're continuing to teach us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.